hope you have a Bible with you today. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and as we look uh, this morning, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and there's some things that uh, Paul's teaching here. There's a spot to make notes on the backside of the bulletin, and it says, uh, free from bondage, but not from responsibility. We have been released, but uh, contrary to American culture, we want freedom without responsibility. But uh, in the Bible, we have freedom with responsibility. And as we look in Scripture this morning from Colossians chapter 2, we have read through chapter 1, we've read through chapter 2, and now we're getting into uh, further in chapter 2. Last week, we ended at at verses 9 and 10, and we're going to start back in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. And I want you to think about the phrasing here. Okay? Um, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in him, who's the him? Yeah, look at verse 8. It ends with Christ. For in him, Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does that mean? Jesus is the fullness of God, the completeness. Uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man. How did that work? I don't know. I don't even know how my body works. I don't know how electricity works. I don't know how gravity works. We understand a little bit of it, but we can't comprehend everything. God's thoughts are way above our thoughts, and that's a good thing. I mean, you would not feel very comfortable if God wasn't any smarter than me, would you? I certainly wouldn't. I'm glad his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your thoughts. And and God has genius packaged into his person. As we look at scripture this morning, we, we see that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. See, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were all spirit. And then Jesus came and was born into humanity, and the fullness of God took on human form in Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, fully God. And Jesus is the fullness of God in his body. And not just His fullness of God, look at verse 10. And ye are complete in him. This is taking that same idea. The fullness of God wrapped up in Jesus. The fullness of God in you, in Christ. The fullness of God in you, in Christ. Because God has planned and God has established and God has committed it to happen In Christ, in you, you have the fullness of God. Now, there was a problem taking place in Colossae. Uh, Some of the, every one of the letters that Paul wrote to people were encouraging and correcting. Kind of like the way we have to do, right? Uh, We get encouraged and we get corrected by certain things and and. Good parents encourage their kids and correct their kids. If all you do is encourage, they end up being spoiled brats. If all you do is correct, they end up being uh, oppressed. 
So you've got to do both. And God does both through the word of God. And Paul's encouraging them, but there was a problem in Colossae. And the problem in Colossae was that the uh, Gnosticism was just starting to develop. Gnosticism was an intellectual pursuit of spirituality. And Gnosticism wanted to separate spirit from body. And so they denied the incarnation of Jesus Christ. They denied the virgin birth, the, the life of Christ. They, they denied um, the, the fact that the body was uh, belonged to God, like Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Your spirit and your body both belong to God. And they would say things like, uh, the body is evil and matter is evil and spirit is life. And, and Gnosticism kind of took two extremes. One saying, the spirit's the only thing that matters, so you can do anything you want with your flesh and it doesn't matter. But, but the main focus of Gnosticism was you had to beat your flesh into submission. And so it was developed in a very ascetic thing where you know, people would actually whip themselves, uh, to build a whip and whip themselves with it. Uh, they would deny themselves the pleasures of life. They wouldn't eat anything they liked or drink anything they liked because they had to deny the flesh. And it was a corruption of spiritual truth. There are times we have to deny the flesh when our flesh is prone to sin. But God has given us all things to enjoy. I, I hope you enjoy a good meal. Uh, I hope you do this afternoon. I hope you enjoy a good meal with us next Sunday afternoon as we stay together and we uh, connect with him. And, and as we look in the word of God, as, as we think about this, there is no separation of body and spirit. We're one. No. So, thanks. I don't know where my notes are, but that's okay. Um, you might wish I had them, but that's okay. In, in verse number, so, so this, what Paul's correcting here is this um, switching back and forth, spirit and body. And so as we read in, Corinth, in, in this letter, sorry, to Colossae, there's some parts that are awkward. And we need to understand the awkwardness is not the word of God, the awkwardness is our understanding. I don't struggle with Gnosticism. Hopefully you don't either. It's still prevalent in the world today. Bad theology never goes away. It just shows up in different forms in different places. But it's not a struggle that we tend to have. Americans tend to be more indulgent of the flesh than trying to beat the flesh down. As, as uh, Paul writes here in, uh, we just read verses 9 and 10, in verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. See, in the Old Testament, the Jews had a circumcision that was made with hands. It was uh, the rabbi would circumcise uh, the little boys, and, uh, and they prided themselves on their circumcision as a removal of flesh and a focus on God. And Paul said, the real circumcision is your heart before God. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. In putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
And then that's the Old Testament, Jewish perspective, looking at things. Then in uh, verse number 12, buried with him in baptism. This is the New Testament Christian way. In the Old Testament, you were identified as a follower of Christ by converting to Judaism and getting circumcised. In the New Testament, you are identified as a follower of Christ by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and being scripturally baptized. So that in your baptism, you're showing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You go down under the water and come up. So uh, that in verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein you're risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Romans 6.4 says, raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, it's a, a symbol of dying to the old self, being raised to the new self. If you've never been scripturally baptized, I think you should. Jesus was. He, all of the apostles were. In fact, when they looked for a replacement for Judas, one of the requirements was they had to have been baptized. For the early church to join with them, they received Christ, then they were baptized, then they were added to the church. That's the process it went through. And that's the process we use as a church as well. Verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the circumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, what Paul's writing here, remember the, the slant the correction that he's trying to give to these people. He's not skewing truth at all. But there's a specific reason why the Holy Spirit and Paul put this truth in this order. So in verse number uh, 13, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. He's Now, uh, you being dead, that, that's past tense. That's where you used to be. But now he's quickened you. He's made you alive in Christ. The old you, the new you. See, Paul said, you don't have to kill the body. You were already dead. Now you're alive in Christ. You don't have to go through that process that some people were encouraging in Colossae. And then... Uh, there, there were additional doctrines they had, different rituals and rules. In the Old Testament, uh, the scripture said uh, that God loved those who had clean hands and a pure heart. I don't remember the reference. And so the Pharisees came up with a ritual for how to wash their hands. And in the process of washing their hands, they had to wash them and then they had to hang their hands like this. So the water dripped off at their wrist. Because if you went like this, do you do that? I know some of the kids after Awana, some of them went like this all over the mirrors and <laughs> took a lot of work. It sounds funny, kids, but it was a bad thing. Uh, and, and so we tend to shake a little of the extra water off in the sink and then we dry our hands. But they wouldn't do that because, see, where you stop washing, if then a little of the water that touched that dirt then ran back over your hand, and you shook, then now your hands defiled. Talk about OCD. 
these guys. And so they had this ritual. That was a man-made ritual. God said, clean hands and a pure heart. They had a man-made ritual. And the Gnostics went even more. All kinds of man-made rituals for how things should work and how religion should be. And there are people today who have man-made rules for how you should be. You know, Kathy and I were actually in a church where a preacher said it was a sin for a man to have facial hair. We'll take that, Marvin. Yeah. Shave it off this afternoon. You know, that means you've got to shave your eyebrows too, I guess. I tried it. You look funny when you do that. I don't recommend it. Uh, but, but it's not a sin to have facial hair. But that's what was preached in that church. We make all kinds of rules. Rules for how you dress. I mean, they were making all kinds of rules. Rules for how you dress. Rules for how you ate. They probably had a rule that was okay to eat scrambled or fried eggs, but poached. That's not good because poaching is evil. They had all kinds of rules. And the Apostle Paul is addressing this issue. And so he says in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Jesus Christ took all of those ordinances, the ones designed by God and the ones designed by man, and he nailed them to the cross as fully complete in Christ. And it's now laid aside. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. So, in verse 15, which goes with verse 14, he's triumphing in something. What's the something at the end of verse 14? Nailed it to what? His cross. We love Easter Sunday, don't we? What, what's one thing you love about Easter Sunday? From a spiritual sense, okay? Don't talk about eggs and candy. From a spiritual sense, what's one thing you love about Easter Sunday? The, the resurrection. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? It's not just his resurrection back then. It's our resurrection someday, maybe today, when we go up to be with him. We look at the cross as defeat and the resurrection as victory. Or at least the, the victory is not complete in the cross. It's complete in the resurrection from our perspective. But from God's perspective, the victory was complete in the cross. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The most difficult concept in all of humanity occurred on the cross in victory when God the Son died on the cross for our sins. The victory was inevitable. Jesus said, I lay down my life, I take it up again. No man can take my life and no man can stop me from taking it up again. The victory was complete in the cross. Now, without the resurrection, it would have been incomplete, but the resurrection was inevitable for Jesus Christ, and through him, we have a resurrection. 
We have a victory. So he's saying he spoiled principalities and powers. These people who lift themselves up, who exalt themselves, who rule over you, who dominate, who make rules and rituals that you have to conform to. Jesus spoiled all that and he triumphed over all that very publicly on the cross. I think Satan tried to do everything he could to keep Jesus from dying on the cross. There was scripture in uh, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 which described the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Satan tried to stop it. There were many times he stirred up crowds to try and kill him. And Jesus just walked away from him. Many times the cross ensured the defeat of Satan because it provided the victory for us. Now, he says some things designed to correct this movement toward Gnosticism. Verse 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in the crucifixion. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. So, uh, Jeff, what's an appropriate meat that you could eat? Meatballs. What are meatballs made out of? Miscellaneous bits and pieces parts. If you read the bag, it says this may contain one or more of the following. It doesn't mention the cockroaches and all that. that oh. <laughs> Haven't you ever looked at meat? <laughs> now, you guys are going to be vegetarian for the week, aren't you? There's no meat that's bad meat if you receive it with thanksgiving before Christ. I know there's people who say, you have to go back to the Genesis diet. Which in the beginning, we were all vegetarians. In the beginning, Tyrannosaurus Rex was a vegetarian. He probably had those big sharp teeth and to gnaw on the top of palm trees or something. He sure couldn't grab them with his hands, you know. We were all vegetarians at the beginning, but after the flood, it said God said we could eat meat as long as it's received with thanksgiving. For Israel, there was certain meat they couldn't eat. How many of you had pork, pork roast, bacon, or sausage this week? If you were Jewish, you couldn't have that. But the Gnostics made all kinds of rules about meats, what you could eat what you could not eat. And Paul said, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. You answer to God, you, He deserves glory for the way you conduct your life, the way you eat, the way you drink. And Paul said, don't, You don't have to conform to those rituals and rules. I had a lady call me once when I was pastoring in a different community, oh, 22, 23 years ago. This lady uh, called me on the phone and she said, I got a question for you. I said, okay. She said, can you eat pork? Yes. She said, you allow people in your church to eat pork? I said, yes. She said, really? Can I come and talk with you? Sure. Set up an appointment. She came down to the church office, met with me. We talked. 
her pastor had made all of their Sunday school teachers sign a document saying they would not eat pork or any meat that was considered unclean to the Jews. She said, what do you think about that? I said, do you really want to know? She said, yes, I do. I said, I think your pastor's nuts. That's not what the Bible says. We can't add rules to the Bible. And she ended up leaving that church and ended up joining our church. That was her choice, and it took time uh, before she did. But she realized the pastor was adding rules to the Bible. And, by the way, this was another Baptist church, a pastor that I knew well and never had any idea he was doing that. He's saying, don't let people do that or respect of a holy day. He's giving warnings. Warning! If somebody tells you what you can eat or not eat, be very careful. You answer to Christ. Warning! Uh, in uh, verse, the end of verse 16, about holy days and new moons or Sabbath days. Oh, man. I've heard preachers on the radio screaming and hollering how evil it is to have a Christmas tree because people who have Christmas trees in their house are worshiping a false god. We had a Christmas tree in our house, and it helped me to worship Christ. My family members have given me little ornaments that are churches. Why do they think I like churches? I don't know. But they give me little ornaments that are churches, and we put them around on the tree, and there's some other ornaments. Some of them actually look edible. It was kind of scary when Leah grabbed one and thought it was edible. But uh, it's not evil to have a Christmas tree. Some people really like to observe Good Friday. Some people don't. It's not evil to do it or not do it. What's problem is when you tell other people they have to conform to you. When you try and bully people into doing it. He said, don't let people push you around. You answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are freed from bondage in Christ. Not just the bondage of your sin, but also from the bondage of religious rules and rituals. We are freed from that. We could have candles up here at the front. It wouldn't be evil to have candles. It would be if we viewed the candles as a shrine. That would be evil. Uh, one Sunday recently, you know, I, I forgot my notes. I don't know where they are. Benjamin forgot his Bible. Got up here to teach and forgot his Bible. So he walked up here. He picked up this Bible and he preached from this one. And that's fine. It's a Bible. It's not a shrine. I, I know uh, a, a kid was up here. There's some pictures in that Bible. A kid was up here looking at the pictures, and his mom just panicked. <gasps> what are you doing? It's fine. It's a Bible. They're meant to be used. That's why God gave them to us. Just don't tear the pictures out, okay? Let no man, therefore, verse 16, judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Um, how many of you have ever seen the movie uh, Chariots of Fire? Seen that movie? Uh, and, and in the movie, he fusses as a kid for playing basketball on Sunday, on the Sabbath. Sunday is not the Sabbath. It's not the church Sabbath. Sabbath was Saturday. We don't observe the Sabbath because 
That was a rule for Israel. Although you do need a, a day of rest in your week, but it doesn't necessarily have to be on Saturday. That was for Israel. So it's not wrong for us to do something on Sunday. Other than church, in between the church service. You could go this afternoon, go to the park, do a pickup game, go back, get a shower. That's basketball, by the way. Go back and shower and come back to church tonight. That would be fine. If, if your parents tell you you can't do that, then trying to do it would be a bad thing if you're a kid. But don't let people make rules in your life. And verse 17, these things, these holidays and holy days are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. See, that's a very important thing for him to write to them. The body is of Christ, not just your physical body, the body of the church is of Christ. They were putting down the body saying the body was bad and the spirit was magnificent and we needed to just follow the spirit and, and beat the body down. And Paul said, no, the body is of Christ. And then he gets in verse 18, and this is a very misunderstood verse. Let no man beguile you of your reward, okay, in a voluntary humility. Now, pause right there. What does beguile mean? To cheat, to uh, deceive, to move you away from the truth. Don't let somebody beguile you through your reward, through a voluntary humility. We choose, uh, we voluntarily submit to the rules of Christ. We don't do it because it's forced upon us by certain religious leaders. We choose to. And he's correcting some of the error that's taking place in this church that frankly occurs sometimes in churches today. And that's the exalting of angelic ministry. Don't let someone beguile you in voluntary humility. You submit to Christ and you don't let somebody turn you away from that voluntary submission and make it a domineering thing. Worshiping of angels. We don't worship angels. In fact, in Revelation, when John tried to worship the angel because he's overwhelmed by the presence of this angel and he falls down to worship him, the angel, the good angel, the godly angel says, Hey, stop that! I'm a servant of God just like you are. Get up! We serve God together. Angels do not want to be worshipped. Godly angels don't. Demons, fallen angels, they want to be worshipped. Had a fellow in our neighborhood I was witnessing to over time, and he rejected Christ multiple times. And then he told me once, he was so excited, he couldn't wait to tell me. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I thought, wow, this could be great. I said, what brought that on? He said, an angel appeared in my hospital room and told me Jesus was of God. I thought, well, okay, maybe. And then he said, just like Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius, Jesus is a representative of God, and so I should love him. That was not an angel of God. 
He is absolutely confirmed an angel showed up in his room. And he believed the message because it was an angel. Could have been. Could have been a demon. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, said they masquerade as angels of light. And the devil wants you to worship anything except Jesus Christ. To make Jesus just one of the guys, one of the gang, not the one and only Lord of heaven and earth. And so the Gnostics were already elevating angels and devaluing Jesus, making him just like the, the lead angel almost, not the Son of God and God the Son, not the creator of heaven and earth. And so he's saying, listen, they're going to get you to worship angels and intrude into those things which uh, they have not seen, vainly puffed up in their fleshly mind. They're arrogant, and they're telling you, you need to follow them. I've said this many, many times. If somebody tells you, you, you need to follow his or her teaching in order to be right with the Lord, run away from them. Because as Paul wrote here, he was praising this church for following the teaching of Christ, even though he had never seen them face to face. Other people had taught them and they were following Christ. A good minister doesn't say, you have to only follow me. If you ever hear me say, you have to only follow me, that will probably be the last sermon I preach here. Because the deacons will take me down, have the MRI, realize I've uh, done something weird in my brain, and, and I'm gone. Because that's wrong. There are some preachers and teachers you should not listen to. We will warn you about some of them because they're corrupting Scripture. But nobody has all the answers. We're all following Christ. And then he goes on to describe the exaltation of Christ, not holding the head, the Lord Jesus Christ, which he says else, uh, earlier in this book, not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments, and here's the key word, and doctrines of men. See, God has some commandments. God has some doctrines, some rules. There are some rules about eating, in fact. If you're eating meat that somebody has offered to a pagan idol, and you find out it was offered to a pagan idol, you should not eat it. Because you don't want them to give the pagan idol credit for the nourishment that meat gives to you. Uh, but otherwise, you're free to eat meat as long as you do it with thanksgiving. Um, not free to overeat, which is kind of uh, almost a, a American problem. It's not just America, though. It, uh, we have different terminology, first world, third world. It, it's, it's the organized, industrialized world has a problem with overeating when most of the agricultural, underdeveloped world has a problem finding enough food. We we could have grocery stores go out of business and we'd probably be able to thrive for a couple of weeks off what's in our pantries. In the day of the scripture, give us this day our daily bread was a serious concern. And it's that way in most of the world today. Paul's saying the Lord made you free 
from bondage. He gives warnings against the worship of angels, warning against the exaltation of uh, people, warning against putting down the flesh and only focusing on the spirit, warning against trusting in your physical uh, self-discipline instead of trusting in the Lord, a warning against devaluing Jesus and not seeing him as Lord and God and head of the church. All these warnings to this church because they were in danger of allowing their doctrine and theology to be corrupted by false teachers. And, and he wants to anchor them back to the truth of God's word and to realize that the cross was a triumph in Christ. Christ did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the Father. The Lord did that for us. And then he says in verse 23, all those rituals, they have a show of wisdom in worship, in humility, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. He said that's, that's not the proper perspective. Here's the proper perspective. Verse 1. The chapter breaks are not inspired by God. They were added later for a reference. So go right from verse 23 of chapter 2 to the satisfying of the flesh. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. We are free from bondage, free from the bondage of sin, free from the bondage of religious rituals and rules. And we need to set our affection on Christ instead of obsessing over bringing my physical body, uh, working on it, working and beating it down and obsessing over that and, and exalting angels and exalting certain teachers. We need to set our affection on Christ, on the things of Christ, on the things that are above. That's where we need to set our affection. So if somebody came up to you and said, are you a Christian? And you answered something like, uh, yes, I I am a Christian and I, I read my Bible and I try and obey God. That's not a bad thing to say, but it's not the best thing. Are, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. I tithe and I, I go to church often and I'm there as often as I physically can be and, and I, I fellowship with other people and I try and serve God. The, the best answer, if somebody asks you're a Christian, say, yes, I am. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me of my sins, and I'm trying to follow him. See, don't tell people, I'm trying to follow the church. I'm trying to obey my pastor. That's what the Gnostics encouraged. Obey me, follow me. No, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't let me be a hindrance to you following Christ. We need to love and follow him, exalt him. We need to set our affection. You are in charge of the spiritual thermostat of your heart. And you can set it toward the Lord. There's some things you can do that would help in that. You can read your Bible regularly. That can help you. 
chase after the Lord in your heart. You can pray. That helps you focus your attention on the Lord. Uh, You can handle your money wisely so that you're giving generously toward the Lord. That helps you focus your heart toward the Lord. But each one of those things can also distract you from the Lord if you start focusing on it instead of Him. My Bible reading is not about me knowing the Bible. My Bible reading is about me knowing Jesus Christ and being drawn closer to Him. My prayers are not about God giving me what I want. My prayers are about bringing my life and my heart into a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus Christ freed us from bondage of sin and bondage of religious rituals and rules, he also delivered us to something. We are free to fully live and love in Christ. That's the freedom that he has given us, to fully live and love. In Christ. Can you click that up, Tim? Reading your Bible can be good if it's done with a heart chasing after Christ. Coming to church can be good if it's done because you're desiring a close relationship with Christ and to connect with a bunch of other people who are also in Christ. But if you showed up here this morning so you could check something off your religious checklist of uh, approved religious behavior on Sundays, then there's really not much value in being here. You want to grow closer to Christ. You want to live with an awareness of Him. And even in a church, a church in Colossae, a church that loved Christ, a church that had been passionately following Him, they were starting to get distracted. And they were starting to focus on rituals and rules and physical observable behavior instead of focusing on the Spirit and focusing on Christ. So, What's going on in your heart and life today? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you sit in amazement when we were singing that song earlier, I have a really hard time singing Merciful God. The tune is easy to follow, but when I think about God forgiving my sin, and how he did it, and what he went through to forgive my sin, that's frankly brutal. Kathy and I were talking at home, and, and she said maybe someday we ought to have people write down their sins and then have them come up and nail it in a piece of wood to picture your sins being nailed to the cross in Christ. We should be overwhelmed by who He is. And we should not be so arrogant to assume that we can beat ourselves into submission 
We can't save ourselves. We need Him. We can't walk with Him by self-discipline. We can only walk with Him by the Spirit's engagement in our heart, in our life. And if you're focused on anything other than knowing Christ a little more and walking a little closely with Him, then you're distracted. Because someday, you're going to stand before Him. And you want to be as close to Him as you possibly can be. Freed from bondage. Praise the Lord. Not in the bondage of sin. Not in the bondage of rituals and rules. And free to live and love fully in Christ. Praise the Lord. We're going to sing a little chorus in just a moment. You can come up and start. Um, The chorus is, my life is in you, Lord. And if you're here this morning and you can't honestly say, my life is in you, then maybe you should adjust your priorities. As we look at the scripture, as we look at the word, as we look at our hearts and lives, we need to realize we are to submit to and follow Jesus. Our life is in him. And if there's something you need to do today to through obedience in baptism, obedience in pursuing church membership, through trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and asking Him to forgive your sins. If there's something you need to do today, an obstacle you need to remove between you and Jesus Christ, then do it today. Let your life really be in Christ. Let's stand as Ben comes and leads us in this chorus.